When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? It is Ricky the Blue, the associate editor and Virginia Tech football beat writer for TechSideline.com. Welcome back to another episode of the TSL Podcast. We're able to get everyone together here before people ship out. We're trying to fight the snow that we got here in the NRV, but as always, I'm with Will Stewart and Chris Coleman, the uh, the brains of the operation here at Tech Sideline. Guys, how are we doing today? Chris, I know you said your, your neck was... A little sore is because you've been partying too much since Tech got selected. <laughs> no, it's because I slept poorly last night. <laughs> I guess I just slept on the wrong side of the bed. Hey, you, 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 now what Get you need to do man. is you need to wake up on the right side of the bed when you're in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I guess so. Is that, is that right? Out. Yeah. Will, are you are you, are you excited to go to Pitt? I am. Uh, I'm excited that Virginia Tech is relatively close and it's a relatively easy drive. I, it seemed like the, the locations this year were actually pretty pretty good for, for Tech in terms of being relatively close by other than Boise, Idaho, of course. Yeah, we, we, we knew we weren't going to go to Charlotte because right. yeah. UVA and Duke slash UNC were going to get that. And exactly. then Nashville was next on the list and Pittsburgh. and Those would have been the two big ones, the, the two closest ones. Yeah, and Detroit. Detroit is pretty darn far away. It is, it is. And I'm talking about in terms of driving. Yeah, I know, because we were looking at Detroit possibly as a bowl game, I believe, last year before they were selected for the Belk Bowl. But or, I, I'm just hoping the trip to Pittsburgh this time is better than my last, my one and only trip to Pittsburgh. <laughs> I know, we got I, caught in rush hour traffic in 2016 well, going to Heinz Field. 2000, that was fun. 2003, I had just beer bottles thrown at my car while I was driving it the entire time because I had the nerve to have a Virginia Tech license plate while, while a cop just stood on the street corner and watched and laughed. Pittsburgh is a wonderful P- city. Pittsburgh was not, did, not have, did not have nice fans. It was like Diet West Virginia. That was back in 2000. Diet West it was Virginia. Like, it was back in 2003. What a phrase. It was back in 2003 when Virginia Tech was in the middle of transitioning from the Big East to the ACC. So all the Pitt and West Virginia fans were just so mad that Virginia Tech had betrayed the Big East and was leaving. And, yeah. And you, got, you, you saw their true colors. During trips to to Morgantown and Pittsburgh, that's that hilarious. Diet West Virginia, but but huh. it was it was rough that night. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I saw a drunken Pitt student come down and 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 try to urinate on the tech cheerleaders and missed and hit the flag Virginia Tech flag instead. It was wow. it was a mess, man. And but fortunately, I won't be dealing with with Pitt fans this time. This is true. Yeah. This is true. The Pittsburgh will be nowhere even close to the NCAA tournament, even though the, <laughs> no. the location is in Pittsburgh. So I got Tech sideline trivia for you. Oh boy. Okay. It was in the city of Pittsburgh that the name Tech sideline was generated, created, first thought up. Yeah, um, it's one of the few good things that's ever happened to Virginia Tech in <laughs> Pittsburgh, right? Yeah, we were Hokie Central at the time, and uh, I knew at some point uh, Virginia Tech was going to crack down on use of the word Hokie. Yeah, which they have. And uh, but, a certain extent. Well, they buddy did. of mine was living on a uh, houseboat in Pittsburgh, and we went up there for the 99 uh, uh, Virginia Tech football game up there when Michael Vick played up there. And uh, we were all hanging around this guy's houseboat, and I told my buddies, I said, you know, this is uh, – this is coming. Think up some names for me. 
And a friend of mine who now lives over in Europe somewhere and really never really paid that much attention to tech sports, doesn't really care. He came up with Tech Sideline. And uh, he said it, and I thought, man, that one sounds pretty good. Have you been paying him royalties? No. (laughs) And I'm thinking, I don't think he listens to this podcast. (laughs) Well, if he doesn't, he should. So anyway, that happened on the shores of the river there in Pittsburgh. Interesting. So before we go ahead and dive into this podcast, because there is a lot to get to, we have Tech Basketball. Obviously, to talk about, we have Tech Football, which is starting. Tech Wrestling is heading to the NCAA Tournament in Cleveland, and it looks like they have a chance to finish really well. But before we do all that, we do have to thank one of our sponsors here at TSL, the Fisher Law Firm. The Fisher Law Firm is Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. They have offices in Blacksburg, Abington, and Charlottesville, and are able to serve the entire Commonwealth of Virginia, whether you are charged with driving under the influence or speeding, the official law firm realizes that each case is important to the client. The firm does cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia and regularly appears in over 30 jurisdictions. Last year, 98% of their caseload was traffic offenses, and to date, the firm has defended more than 15,000 people charged with moving violations. For free consultation, you can call them anytime, day or night or day or evening, toll-free at 1-800-680-7031, or you can email them at info at fisherlegal.com again. The number is 1-800-680-7031, and you can email the official law firm at info at com. Thank you once again, guys, for sponsoring the podcast. So, Virginia Tech is in the NCAA tournament, second year in a row, uh, first time since 1985-1986. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. When I was a, a let, me, let me do some math, Soft, <laughs> sophomore and a junior. And My senior year was not good. <laughs> uh, they'll be an eight seed in the East bracket. They're playing Alabama in the first round. Um, the, 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 before we really dive into Alabama, the main thing I want to hit on is this is a really big milestone for the program. I know this season ended on a really disappointing note for Tech fans. They blow the lead at Miami. They blow the lead to Notre Dame in the ACC tournament. Uh, but Tech is still able to secure this bid in the NCAAs. And I think it's just that another massive massive step for this program in terms of where they were just three or four years ago yeah i think so i mean when you do something that hasn't been done for over 30 years i think it's a big deal uh and and, you know i think when enough people are are paying attention that the fan base is really riled up over that loss to notre dame i I mean when i went in there and looked at the traffic on, on our message boards after the notre dame loss basically there were Really, there were about four times as many posts within a two within a two hour period after that game than there are for most Virginia Tech basketball games. And the game recap, last I checked, had almost fifty comments on it, which you know most of our articles run seven to fifteen comments. Right. So, so when people light up an article like that, uh, they're they're paying attention. But that's a good right, which is a good thing. You know, I mean, four years ago people would not have noticed if Virginia Tech had blown a 21-point lead to Notre Dame. In fact, the people that that would actually be watching would just – it would be the opposite reaction. They'd be like, wow, maybe we're close to being good because we actually had a lead on Notre Dame for part of the game. <laughs> so uh, it, it's the, things have changed very quickly, and I'm disappointed in the loss. And, you know, it's possible that losing that game and, and you know, losing to Miami cost Virginia Tech a seven seed. Um I, I, th- I think they in, in the end you, you are who who you are you are, you are what your record, record says, says you, are. you are exactly although I don't even know if that's so true Bill I don't even know if that's true anymore with the way unbalanced scheduling is 
Uh, I know that's one of like your biggest. Oh, I despise it. You, you bring it up on like every other episode. Uh, every time I can, and it's not just <laughs> college basketball; it's college football. Chris has an agenda, it's, folks. It's, it's it's all it's, it's getting it's rid of baseball scheduling. It's, yeah, well, it's it can't. It's never going to happen. I know, there, I know. There's there you know yeah. there are too many teams and, and too many factors at play. Yeah, it's never going to happen. But I I do hate it, and I think I don't like what it does to conference tournaments in college basketball. Um, because, you know, Virginia Tech was a seven seed and they played the league's toughest schedule. And meanwhile, you know, Miami, I think their schedule ranked 14th or 15th and they're the three seed. If you flip schedules and Virginia Tech is probably the three seed or maybe who knows, maybe not. I I don't know. But I I think that I think I don't think you get necessarily the right matchups in the early rounds of conference tournaments. Yeah. Um, because because of unbalanced scheduling throughout the regular season. So here's a thought. 15 teams in ACC basketball. A perfectly structured tournament is 16 teams. So why don't we do away with the double bye and give a single bye to the team that finishes first in the regular season? Make everybody else play four games, right? I mean, I don't think anybody would have an issue with that. I think Chris's main issue is kind of just the fact that how you get to determine that seeding is unbalanced. Yeah, I'm not really saying unfair. my comment was relevant to what he was saying. <laughs> <laughs> Will's just over here spouting off ideas randomly, so, just speaking his mind. So another another random thought. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about the building of the program. And, you know, we've, we've been going to every game uh, for years now. And uh, I get a little bit disappointed sometimes in the beginning of the season when the crowds aren't bigger. Like if you go back and look at the Iowa crowd, that's a big game, should have had a bigger crowd. But what I'm seeing is, and, and the thing is, Buzz notices this too. Buzz talked after the Duke game. Buzz doesn't just notice the fans in the crowd. He notices who shows up at Tech Talk Live on Monday nights. Yeah, so. so this guy's very, very uh, aware of the turnout at his, his events. So you, you contrast that with years ago when Bobby Hussey was on the on Tech Talk Live one night, which was called the Hokie Hotline back then. And, and they asked him about fans or attendance or something like that. And he said, well, it's not my job to get fans in the seats. It's, it's a marketing department's job. Yeah. And that's part of what sealed Bobby Hussey's doom. I, part I, of it. I like Bobby Hussey. He was always a good guy from what I could tell, but he was not Mr. Warm and Fuzzy. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Buzz, on the other hand, after the Duke game said, this is the first time I've been here, I think, since I've seen all the corners full and – and he pretended like he was he was in, he was in the post game presser, and he was looking up, and he said, "Even that corner talking about the one up there behind the band, that's usually the last one to yeah. fill." Yeah, yeah. So you, you've seen a gradual building and in interest in the program, and yeah, you know, we talked about eighty five, eighty six when they went to two straight NCAA tournaments, and I think that was a string of four appearances in seven or eight years, yeah. plus some NIT trips. Um, but from when I was a senior, Tech went 10 and 18. That was Bimbo Cole's freshman year. And uh, Bimbo was pretty good, but the rest of the team was bad. And uh, that started a, let me do some math in my head here, about 20 years of, of bad basketball, <laughs> interrupted only by the, NI, the NIT championship in 1995 and the NCAA tournament trip in, in 1996. When you talk about 20 years of bad basketball, that's a loss of an entire generation. Then yeah. Seth Greenberg comes along in 03, 04, and nobody was paying attention. It was their last year in the Big East. And then Seth had some big wins in 04, 05. And there was a lot of, you know, the program ramped up quickly. And there was a lot of interest even to the end of Seth's tenure. I remember, was his last year 2010, 2011? Uh, or 2011, 2012? 12. His last year was 11, 12. 
And there was a lot of interest to the program. I, I remember writing an, a column at one point saying, you know, as tech started to nosedive that year in January and February, I remember writing a column one time and saying, I can't go to a basketball game anymore with people asking me <laughs> if they're, if Seth Greenberg's going to get fired. So Seth gets let go. And there was a, a ton of criticism and, and, again, interest in the program. Then James Johnson was hired, and, and those fans just disappeared. Yep, things just kind of ditched. Yeah, so that was two years. Well, Seth's last year was bad basketball. Two years of bad basketball and bad records under J.J. Then Buzz comes in, and the record's bad, but you can see the program getting better. So I, I the point I'm making is I think the progress they made in the Seth Greenberg era was erased. And what you hope to see here is two NCAA bids in a row is a good start. And the great thing, and we've said this on the podcast before, the great thing about going this year is it's not like there are five seniors that are going to exit the program yeah. at the end of the year. Uh, you know, let's put it out there. This should be an NCAA tournament team next year also. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, on paper it should be. Yeah, and particularly with the stronger schedule. Three NCAA tournaments in a row, and I believe that's never been done in program history it's, it's, at yeah, all. It's never been done, and that would be huge. So when you toss in the – and they're not just going to NCAA tournaments. Along the way, they are beating UNC here and there. They're beating Duke. They're beating they're having Vir- some, some kind of landmark wins. Yeah. Winning you know, at UVA. And, and this year did not feature any – other than St. Louis, I'm talking about ACC play. This year did not feature any what-was-that losses. So this is, this is all good stuff, and – to really build a program, you have to have continued, su- sustained success. And there's lots of other things we could talk about that we're not seeing right now that need to that need to start happening. Yeah. Uh, what are we going to do when Kerry Blackshear is gone? We won't have anybody <laughs> over over six six or six seven. Yeah, basically. And yeah, that's a discussion for another time. But uh, just wanted to kind of get that whole thought out there that uh, I like where the program is right now and I like where they're going to be next year. And I think it's know, important for people to understand the kind of the historical context of Virginia Tech basketball and where this program was 25, 30 years ago. And that's something that you guys know really better than anyone about how far this program really tanked yeah, and then how far this program has, has gone on the upward trajectory in the last three to four years. I think Will brought up a good point about what Virginia Tech has coming back next year and what they had coming back from last year's team. It's a big, it's a stark contrast to what they had coming back after the 1996 NCAA tournament when four of their five starters were seniors and Ace Custis was the only player coming back. And the only reason Ace was coming back is because he'd hurt his knee and had a red shirt or something like that. Exactly right, yeah. And and even after 2007 when Jamon Gordon, Coleman Collins, and Zabian Dowdell were all gone after that NCAA tournament appearance. Yeah. uh, and, and, you know, they're going to lose Bibbs. They're going to lose Devin Wilson. And th- th- those are two very important pieces of the team. But they're going to bring back Justin Robinson. They're going to bring back Ahmed Hill. They're going to bring back Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Kerry Blackshear. Kerry Blackshear. Some really good players on on, on, on that team. Uh, they're going to get Hadim C. back, who, who's, who's redshirting this year. They're going to get Ty Outlaw back, yep. um, who played in the NCAA tournament last year. So there's plenty of pieces to, to make another NCAA tournament run. And, uh, and – I, they'll have to schedule better non-conference because their in-conference schedule won't be as strong, I'm sure. Um, it can't be. <laughs> it, can't, it can't be. It can't be better than, than number one, right? Uh, but uh, but, I, but I think because of that, they're going to get a better draw in the ACC Big Ten Challenge by default. Yeah, in, 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 in Iowa. Right, and they're guaranteed three neutral site games down in that tournament in Charleston r- rather than two. So just mathematically, their, their schedule can't help but be better next year. 
I don't really want to beat a dead horse here, but I, I really feel like, you know, Buzz takes a lot of heat sometimes for his methods and, and things he says and, you know, his, you know, whatever. Uh, but I really think that Buzz deserves a lot of credit for not just the, the turnaround we've seen over the last three to four years, but the turnaround this season. I mean, you go yeah. back to that, what was it, the Miami game on February 3rd, this team almost looked left for dead. It looked like they were headed straight for an NIT bid and not in the top, like not like barely missing the tournament, you know, top seed NIT bid. It looked like this team was not an NCAA tournament team. And then he was able to completely change not just his philosophy, but his players' philosophies on basketball and how they play the game and how they prepare for the game. And he was able to get this team to be comfortably in the NCAA tournament. I think that that's a, a really, really huge accomplishment. Yeah, the, the, the word lock got used yeah. a lot. Yeah. When was the last time Tech was a lock with, with two weeks left in the season? Yeah, it's been a while. Um, I mean, for, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I forget exactly how last year's schedule broke down. But uh, I feel like there were three times this year where Tech fans threw their hands up in the air and said, oh, season's over. <laughs> uh, Florida State, uh, right? No, UVA first. Okay. 26-point home Ooh, that was a to whip. UVA. Fair enough. And yeah. Tech started 0-2 in the ACC. Yep. And then Florida State at home, and they were two and four in the ACC after that game. And then Miami, and then the and Miami home. loss, yep. right? And and they followed up the UVA loss by winning their next two. Uh, then they followed up the Florida State loss by beating, beating UNC North Carolina two days and, later, uh, right? And I think winning three games in a row. And then obviously we all know what happened after the Miami loss. Buzz changed his whole defensive philosophy and defensive game plan. Put Devin Wilson into the starting lineup, et cetera, et cetera. Played much better basketball down, down the stretch, or better defense at least down the stretch. And, and it, after, after I really had a hard time holding my tongue, holding my keyboard after the <laughs> Florida State loss. I, I literally thought this is an NIT team, but I kept my mouth shut. I think everybody because, thought that. Yeah, I know I did. I didn't say it though because I just wanted to. Let a little bit more time go by. And, and yeah. somebody said to me later on in the season, they said, I, I wrote an article after they beat Duke, I think. And somebody said, you know, you haven't written much this year about basketball. I wish you'd write more. And, and I had the thought that as a writer, as a guy who covers tech, um, basketball wise, I've reached the point where I almost need to see the whole season before I feel like I really want to take a stand on it. Yeah. And that's not a good thing. You know, I'll, I'll do a better job next year of kind of evaluating the season as you go along, you know, because I kept it bottled up, not wanting to stick my neck out there and say, this is an NIT team and then have it get thrown back at you two months later. Cause you were wrong. Yeah. And so, you know, after that Florida state uh, defeat at home, 91, 82, uh, they went uh, and beat North Carolina again two days later at home. Then they won two straight road games, including at Notre Dame. So, I mean... Or, Notre Dame and BC, right? Notre yeah, Dame yeah. they BC. won no, at Notre Dame and at Boston College, and obviously they lose to Miami at home, and then they you know go on their, their, their streak kind of to finish the season. But uh, I, I just really think that it's important that Tech fans recognize that while Buzz may have his faults and, and things that people wish that Buzz would improve on, I think that he deserves a lot of credit for his on-court performance and how he's been able to get this team turned around and, and get them to be a lock from the NCAA tournament, which is, again, a phrase that Tech fans just really aren't used to around these parts. Yeah, you know, he's made the NCAA tournament seven of the last ten years as a coach. Two of the three years he didn't were his first two years at Virginia Tech in a program that needed to be completely rebuilt yeah, from complete, scratch. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty pretty clear at this point the guy's a perennial, perennial NCAA tournament coach. Definitely, yeah, it seems so, that way. He's, I mean – Virginia Tech has never had a perennial NCAA tournament basketball coach. Before. Nope. Ever. I mean, Char- not Charlie Moore was close. close. He was close yeah. to being there, but wasn't quite there. Uh, 
Greenberg was perennial bubble. <laughs> um, it, you know, and Will shakes his head. But, yeah, and that, that, that's really <laughs> it's really inexplicable looking back that when you consider how Tech scheduled in 2007, they scheduled really well. I mean, they lost to teams like Marshall and Western Michigan in non-conference play, but they scheduled so well that they were still a five seed. They were yeah, 21 they, and 11 and a five seed, just like this year, 21 well, and 11, except they were a five seed. They lost four games out of conference that yeah. year and wound up being a five two seed. Of, two of them were the teams outside the top 150. Yeah, and this year they only lost two out of conference, but they wound up being a, an, right, an eight seed. Because he scheduled so well out, out of conference. But... The next few years, his non-conference schedules were, were terrible, and they didn't make it at all because of that. It's just it's it's weird seeing them go from from one end of the extreme to the other. Yeah, definitely. So Virginia Tech is again the eight seed playing nine seed Alabama. Uh, the the game will be on Thursday, nine p.m. I believe it's on TNT. Is that right? I believe yes, so. It yeah. Is, yeah. So it'll be a late game. Wasn't last year's game a late game? Too? Yeah, and it was like a nine, it was like a nine forty start last year, and th- this one will start at probably at nine forty. No, um, I don't or think so. Do you think so. it'll start well, on time? The, the the Villanova game will start at six fifty. Oh, so if, okay. it, if it takes two hours, it'll end at eight fifty, and then the okay. game will start thirty minutes later. Yeah. So yeah. So unless the Villanova goes to overtime against number sixteen seed Radford or, <laughs> or whoever LIU yeah, Brooklyn, LIU, I think. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, then I I anticipate the Tech game starting pretty much on time. Yeah, so we'll see how it works out. But Bama, 19-15 and 15 overall in the season, 8-10 and 10 in the SEC, which historically has not been a great basketball conference. But they've been a little bit better this year. They're, they're not as good on the upper end. You don't have the Kentucky in the SEC that's a top-five team. But I feel like they've been better in the middle of the conference this I agree year. In fact, they're a little bit deeper. Yeah, Texas. Well, I'm, I'm going Big 12. I was thinking Texas Tech, but they're Big 12. You've got Tennessee, Texas which A&M. is like a top 15 team. Texas uh, A&M's Texas been good. A&M Auburn. Is good. Auburn, yeah, Auburn. Auburn has not been good down the stretch. Yeah, South but Carolina overall, fell off this year. South Carolina fell off this year. Um, I guess we should have known that when we saw them play in the preseason. I mean, we're, we're <laughs> That's just true. Hammering. But, <laughs> yeah. Alabama lost to Kentucky in the semifinals of the SEC tournament. Uh, Alabama was the nine seed in the SEC, yeah. and they were still able to to make a little bit of a run there, and obviously in the tournament comfortably. Uh, co- freshman Colin Sexton is kind of their their go to guy. Nineteen points a game, shooting forty four percent from the field. Uh, th- this team is definitely thirty four percent for three point range. Uh, yes, and he is their point guard, folks. Six yeah. three. Uh, they're not as really balanced as Virginia Tech is offensively. They've got three guys that average in double figures: uh, Sexton, Dante Hall. And John Petty, neither of those guys average more than 11 or 12 points a game. Uh, so, so really, with this team, you know who you got to stop. Yeah. Do you feel like Buzz's kind of newfound defense will have the ability to shut this one guy down and force everyone well, else to beat him? I think it's a good good from the standpoint that Alabama's a really bad three point shooting team, and, and that fits and exactly what, what Tech's game plan is. What Virginia Tech has been able to do recently is is deny penetration and force a whole lot of three point shots for better or for worse. Um, generally, it's been for the better. And if they can stop Alabama from getting the ball inside the three-point line on a consistent basis, then Virginia Tech will win the game, unless they just can't somehow just can't score against Alabama, um, which, you know, Alabama's been a good defensive team Yeah, they're a good defensive year. team. Um, so I think they might, Alabama might prefer a kind of a, a sloppy game when it, when it, when it comes to uh, playing Virginia Tech. Um, but, you know, I think enough time has passed that Virginia Tech will be over the Notre Dame loss. I think enough time will have passed uh, since the Miami loss, obviously. And I think Tech's group of players, it's, it's a close-knit group. So I think it becomes easy, easier to get over losses like that when, when, you get, when you can show up 
to work and be around people that you like. Um, and they say that, uh, you know, they say that and it sounds cliche, but it's true. Well, they, that was a question that John Laser asked Devin Wilson at the, it's a selection show. He said, you know, uh, I can't remember. He was probably speaking specifically of the Notre Dame mm-hmm. loss. And he said, how do you, how do you get back to work? And, and De- that was Devin's answer. He said, yeah. I, I want to see everybody here. I like all these guys. We hang out together even when we're not doing basketball stuff. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Do you, Will, are you as confident that Virginia Tech can, can kind of bottle up Colin Sexton? Without knowing really what Sexton's strengths are, um, if he's a, if he, if he's a drive to the hole kind of guy, if he can create his own shot, you know, I haven't seen him play. I, I like, you know, uh, I, I guess I, I guess I do feel confident. Yeah, but but the, the the thing is, you know, I haven't seen Alabama play, but people on our message boards have. And if you look at their their season, you kind of get you don't know what you're going to get with Alabama. You, you we, we may we may get them on a night Thursday night where you can't stop them him or them. They've had some pretty good wins this year. They beat Rhode Island, who's a tournament team. Uh, lost at Arizona by six. Yeah. Uh, they beat Texas A and M. Uh, they Twice. have yeah, they have a win over Auburn. Twice. They have a win over Oklahoma. A win over or a big win over at Florida. A win over Tennessee. Then they had a stretch where they lost five straight, including at Kentucky, at Auburn, versus Arkansas, versus Florida. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah, five straight, and then at Texas A and M. Um, so they've been kind of a streaky team like Tech this uh, they, season. They uh, they've got a lot of quality wins. They have three quadrant three losses. Yeah, which that, see they they lost that, to some of the SEC bottom feeders, and Virginia Tech did we not didn't lose, lose to, bottom, to the yeah, ACC Tech, bottom. Right. Feeders. They lost to the two worst teams in in the SEC this year. Yeah. Um, so uh, and three of the bottom four. So yeah, they've really been streaky, and honestly, they were not getting in until they until they hit that last second shot to beat Texas A and M in the opening round of the SEC tournament. Because then they went on they, to beat Auburn. Auburn the next and day, then, yeah. and they're in with a 19 and 15 record. And they got absolutely squashed by Kentucky in the semis in right. 86-63. Right. Um, but they were a team that – I remember when when, the, when Texas A&M had that late lead on them, before Alabama's last possession, ESPN gave Alabama a 9% chance of making the NCAA tournament. And then Sexton drives, drives the court. Texas A&M didn't stop the ball. He scores. And bam. Next thing you know, they're in the NCAA tournament. I remember watching that highlight too. How do you not stop Colin Sexton? Four seconds, four, four seconds left to go, and he just he pulled a Danny Ainge and went from one end to the other. Well, uh, unimpeded. Yeah, he just he just went coast to coast well, without any issues, you know, and then yeah, makes, guess, the, makes the floater. I, I guess the answer to that question is, how do you not stop him? Well, you you uh, you didn't stop him because he's Colin Sexton. I guess fair he's, enough. He's a top ten pick. Texas A&M doesn't have anybody like that, I yeah, guess. Yeah, but they didn't even try. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was bad. <laughs> yeah, it didn't seem like they now, had anybody I, I, will, ready. I will say this. There were four seconds left on the clock, and he covered the entire length of the court extremely quickly. Yeah. I th- I he think, was really fast. Yeah, I think I think your typical, your typical basketball player, when you make a shot and you look up and there's four seconds well, left. I've seen so much bad basketball IQ on last-second <laughs> attempts th- uh, this year. I mean, I, I thought I thought when Ty Jerome put up that last he, second he had shot, four. They had four seconds left, and he settled and, for a thirty footer. Right. Whereas uh, Colin, Colin Sexton had four seconds, and he got the ball into the lane. <laughs> uh, yeah. He did a George Gervin finger roll for the win. <laughs> right, right. And uh, who else? Uh, oh, uh, Grayson Allen. Yeah. Uh, he had a, he had, his attempt was was from long. Four point one seconds, bit. same yeah, amount of time. Exactly. 
So, I mean, so I get it. I get players going, oh, he's not going to make it all the way. Oh, oops. Wow, yeah. <laughs> nobody else seems to be able to make it all the way. Yeah. I mean, even really good players like Ty Jerome, Grayson Allen. I mean, smart guys that go to UVA, that go to Duke. And uh, so it's it's – I would not have expected that to happen. I tell you what, I, I hope my I hope my Detroit Pistons are in a chance to get Colin Sexton because man, I I know our our first round pick is protected and whatnot, and there's some questions there, but that guy can that guy can score, he can create, and just about every NBA team needs one of those guys. Uh, so again, Virginia Tech plays Thursday at 9:20 p.m. on TNT. We'll see if Virginia Tech can pull that one out. If they do, they will probably face Villanova. Um, you guys fine with that matchup in terms of? You know, if Chris, you're gonna have Chris, to, Chris has been wanting that matchup for a couple of years. Seed, you know, like I, I don't, a I don't fit. know as much about them this year. I really wanted the matchup last year. Yeah, I know you did want it last year. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, Wisconsin got it instead and beat Villanova. So, uh, you know, I think there was something to my argument. But uh, at the same time, Villanova is really, really good, and they've been good for a long time under yes, Jay they, they won the national Very title well two years ago. Yeah. And the bottom line is, all right, we knew Tech wasn't going to get matched up with UVA in the second round. Nope. So, and so you knew your other options were, were going to be Villanova, Xavier, and uh, what Kansas. It seems like Xavier would have been a, a decent option. Yeah. Um, you know, Xavier it, seems like one of the weakest one seeds we've for, seen for, from an R, from an RPI standpoint. From you know, they only beat one top twenty five RPI team, but I think they also beat. But if you if you throw out the RPI, which I think we all agree is a Antiquated, right? Yeah. Um, and if you look at like the Ken Palm ratings, I think they beat like six of the top thirty in Ken Palm's ratings. Interesting. So uh, it's kind of hard to say from that standpoint. We know they got crushed by Xavier twice by like sixteen and twenty six. I think. You mean they got crushed by Nova twice? Excuse me, by Nova. Yes. yes. Uh, Xavier got crushed by yes. Nova. So, so from that standpoint, they don't seem like a strong number one seed. But you know the problem with with. I used to be able to watch more college basketball because before we had a press pass, obviously I. I would I, I would hang out and I I would be able to watch, watch more games, games. Yeah. right right and uh, but but you know even when Tech played a home game, uh, you, you know I could go back and watch the nine o'clock games as soon as Tech's games were over was over, uh, and now you know there's a seven o'clock game I you know I ended up working till past eleven thirty so I just don't have, don't have I can't see as much. I can't see as many teams play these days yeah. because we have a press pass so. I, I don't know as much about Villanova as I would have four or five years ago. <laughs> but you know more about this team, and that's yeah. what's important. Uh, so let's go ahead and put a wrap on Virginia Tech basketball. We'll go ahead and give you that time again. Thursday, 9.20 p.m., TNT Tech faces Alabama in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Let's go ahead and move on to Virginia Tech football. It's because it's that time of the year. There's snow on the ground, which means spring, spring football is starting up. Um, we had a, a, a press conference on Monday. Uh, Justin Fuente was there, Bud Foster, Brad Cornelson, and also – New co-defensive coordinator Galen Scott uh, made one of his really first few. Uh, he's only been in front of the media a few times here at Virginia Tech. But they were addressing questions about the team this year, position changes, things of that sort. Um, obviously, the, I think the biggest position change that everybody saw was Caleb Farley moving back to defensive back from wide receiver. Remember, he was a defensive back early on. They switched him to wide out. He looked really good. In they the issued, they game. issued a press release when they switched him yes, to wide out. Yes, they did. <laughs> what, is, wait, shoot, uh, what was the last time? Has, has that ever happened? It's it's rare. I, feel like for, I, for I don't think I've ever change? seen that ever. Yeah. In, like, in the spring, for a position change During, in yeah. the spring. Yeah, middle of the spring. Yeah. 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 I'm not yeah. sure what triggered that. I don't know either. But anyway, so, uh, and then he obviously had his knee injury. We think it was an ACL, but that was never confirmed, at least officially. Uh, he will be limited this spring. Other players that will be limited, uh, Trayvon Hill, 
Jalen Holston, Eric Kuma, and then freshman Trey Turner, who enrolled early. Players that are out this spring. Here's a disappointing one. Damon Hazleton. Yeah, that's a shame. I think everybody was looking forward to seeing him this spring to see if he if the hype was real, because there's a lot of hype surrounding him. And his ability to be kind of the maybe the number one here in Blacksburg. He'll be out for this spring. Vinny Mahota, that's no surprise. Robert Porsche, another name that's going to be out this spring. Mm-hmm. I think people were trying to you know maybe see if he had the ability to move inside and play tackle, and yeah. they're not going to get to see him. I have some comments on that, which will be in an article today also uh, for Tech fans to read. But uh, Chris Coleman, bring in the heat, folks. <laughs> but uh, Subscribe for five ninety nine a month. <laughs> but Porsche uh, came in at 262. A lot of people thought he would add weight and move to defensive tackle. Well, he's 260 right now. Which means heard, we've he heard, has added negative two pounds. Exactly. So uh, we've heard through the grapevine that he's not too keen on the on a move, possible move to defensive tackle. So the lack of weight gain could be because of that. Yep. Or it could be because of some type of injury, yeah, which, which is hurt. causing him. So there's no way to know. But at any rate, it's going to be at least another six months before we have any idea about his future and what position he's going to play and things like that. And that's not good given Tech's lack of depth at defensive tackle. The other two players – That'll be out this spring. Mook Reynolds, who obviously was playing injured all of last, or not all, but the end of last season. And then Devontae Smith, who seems like he's been battling injury since he got here. So yeah. we'll have to see if he's able to kind of shake the injury bug. Um, but I really want to uh, want to spend this time talking about the biggest questions facing the team this spring. I put out a, a, an article uh, on Sunday uh, last weekend talking about the biggest issues that I thought were facing this team. Um, and I got some people that agree with me and some people that didn't, and I think that that's good discussion for us. Um, for me, I think the biggest question is defensive line depth, and I think that you guys would agree with that, and I think most of that centers around the defensive tackle position. Uh, you have Ricky Walker, obviously, will be starting at defensive tackle. That's no question. Uh, Vinny Mahota, when healthy, I don't know when that's going to be. You would think he would slide down to defensive tackle Bud Foster and Justin Fuente mentioned that yesterday, so it seemed like that's pretty much official at this point. Um, then you have Jared Hewitt, who got actually a lot of compliments yesterday. Uh, yeah. Bud Foster was very complimentary of him, and so was I, Justin Fuente. I was going to mention that. When, when I, when I uh, read your article today, I didn't get to go to the press conference yesterday. My car's not exactly a snowmobile. Um, <laughs> but I didn't get to go to the press conference. So, no excuses, uh, so, man. So what, 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 so what you've written is – the extent of, of my knowledge as far as what Justin Fuente has said so far this spring. And I, I was encouraged by, by what he said about Hewitt, and I think Bud Foster might have yeah, been a few Bud, Yeah, Bud uh, said he's becoming a leader. Yeah, and that's what was really encouraging to me, is normally you don't make those kind of comments unless they're true. Yeah, right. or so, unless it's about a guy who's going to play a right. good amount next year. Right, so I think I think they feel good about the progress he's made. And he stayed level with his weight at 285 pounds also. So if, if he's good enough to be like a legitimate number three defensive tackle, that makes it me feel a It may be a two better. in certain situations yeah, right. if any were to go down. Sure. Sure, uh, that makes me feel a lot better. But then you still have to find that that you know you ideally fourth would, fifth guy. And, well, you don't have it, to. They didn't last year. Well, <laughs> it, it, it sounds like that Xavier Burke is the guy that they're they're pegging on right now. He was the only name that was mentioned. That Jabril Glaze wasn't mentioned. Darius Fulwell was only mentioned by Bud Foster. Uh, Jimmy Taylor was only mentioned by Bud Foster. But Justin Fuente said, hopefully, Xavier Burke can nail that down. Um, I'm paraphrasing there, but that's pretty close yeah, to what he said. Yeah, you're right. Um, so I'm curious to see if maybe Xavier Burke, who I remember is in his third different position here at Virginia Tech, started he, out. He's, he's been here seven or eight years, right? <laughs> <laughs> it certainly feels that way. He was started out as a tight end, I believe. 
Uh-huh. And then he was a defensive end. Technically, I think. But, yeah, I think he was also hurt a whole lot that spring. Oh, so yeah, he, he was definitely yeah. hurt a ton. And now he's yeah. at defensive tackle. He's up to about 280-ish. Yeah. Um, so maybe he can be that guy that Tech, you know, brings in for a couple snaps a game to, to get Ricky Walker some, some air. I think at this point when you talk about those guys, uh, um, sorry that I've reached this point, but it's it's been a long time since they could bring David Pugh and Chad Beasley off the bench and, oh, man. You know, and have, them, have them be as good as the starters. Or Tim Settle and Ricky Walker off the bench. Off the oh, bench, man. Yeah. Oh, so that was, just, that, was, that was just two years ago. Yeah, when they had good defensive tackle. Down. Yeah, you so. had yeah, you had Woody Barron who was just a stud. Yeah, yeah. you had Nigel, Nigel Williams, Williams who was a very good starter, and then Ricky Walker and Tim Settle off the bench. Yeah, it was a good group. Yeah, Tim so Settle the, had like five tackles for loss off the bench that year, mm-hmm. and in limited snaps. Yeah, so so at this point, I'm just like, hey guys, don't get blown off the ball, okay? <laughs> you know, just uh, and that I guess that's my punch in the face moment for this podcast. Oh, <laughs> um. So, uh, meaning that that if I stand in front of the people I say that about, they'll punch me in the face. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's good to hear about Hewitt. Um, you know, his high school film was good. He showed some tenacity and aggressiveness mm-hmm. early in the season, got pushed off the ball. Not so much later in the season. He improved uh, that there's somebody else that, that took a big step up that can't not come into mind right now. Gaines. Yeah, Housing Gaines at defensive end. Yep, Gaines at end. Um, and, you know, going back earlier in the conversation – it's. I don't know how these guys play hurt like they did. Trayvon Hill was clearly hurt at the end of last year and was still very productive. He's been hurt at the end of the last two seasons. Yeah, He's been hurt is. since the his senior year of high school. And he's when he still been ACL. productive. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, he he uh, he and Gaines both had big plays in that that goal line stand against Pittsburgh. You know, plays that I wouldn't have thought they could make. Gain, you know, we've talked about this before. Gaines, a guy who was getting blown off the ball by one guy earlier in the year, took on a double team. Yeah, and made a stop behind the line in that game. So well, they, it, these are guys that all made a lot of progress, and it's good to see. Gaines's progress has allowed them to feel pretty comfortable moving Vinny Mahota inside. Because if, if you don't feel comfortable with Gaines at end opposite Trayvon Hill, you kind of maybe are a little more tentative with moving Vinny Mahota inside. I think so. Uh, I think you feel more comfortable with Gaines. I think you realize Emmanuel Belmar, who played in ten or eleven games last year, he's got a year under his belt. All and three I, of those freshman defensive ends, yeah, a redshirt freshman now. You know, and they, they all had good weight gains. They're all 240 pounds or more now, whereas a couple of them are, were in the 220 to 225 range. <laughs> Garbutt was under enrolled. 220, I think, he when he was at 221, <laughs> yeah, barely over 220. <laughs> yeah. So after he lost a couple pounds in the heat in August, he probably was under 220. <laughs> That's a good right. point. Uh, but I, I think – But I think they're happy with the progress of a, a couple of those young defensive ends also. Um and I'm not saying that defensive end, it's dead set and it's going to be awesome and everything like but it that. Looked, but the I feel signs more, are promising. I feel more comfortable with what they have there than what they have at defensive end. What are some of the other questions that you guys have for this team entering the spring? What do you feel like you, you really want to see this spring? <laughs> How good is Damon Hazleton, really? Yeah, well, <laughs> Sorry, you're not going to get that one answered. I think linebacker. Linebacker. Linebacker and, and cornerback to me. I mean, I, I think when you look at linebacker and you lose your two deep at both – inside linebacker spots, Mike and Backer. I mean, not just the starters, but the two deep at both spots. And you don't have a single player on the roster That's above, a junior above, a senior. Ju- above a sophomore, right? Redshirt sophomore. Yeah, they've yeah. all been all been recruited over the last couple of years. I mean, there, there's a lot of young players there. And, and we've said from the very beginning that the Tech – you know, knew they had depth issues. And, and so they over-recruited the last couple of years at linebacker. So you're going to see, probably after this coming season, you're going to see attrition. 
You might there. even see. Yeah. You might even see some after the spring. You could. It's yeah. possible. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Possible. Definitely. But but at the same time, there are enough bodies there, and I think there's enough talent there that Virginia Tech will get a good player at each one of those spots. The the big question is how how quickly is it going to take those guys to become consistent players? Yeah. Because I mean that's obviously the the main thing that young players struggle with is always consistency. I like that you mentioned cornerback, and there's a quote that I want to read from yesterday's <laughs> yeah. press conference um, that was a little striking, I think. Yeah. Uh, this was uh, Justin Fuente talking about Caleb Farley moving back to defensive back, and, and this was uh, the, the really important part of the quote. He says, I would like to play Far- or him, referring to Farley, on offense as much as anybody, but the bottom line is where we're at in the secondary right now, between our youth and between we do have some older players that have been less consistent for us. So between our youth and our lack of accountability and consistency with some of our older guys in the secondary, we felt like in the long run that's his best spot. And that, if, you, if you if you wiggle on over to the roster, <laughs> you see that there are two cornerbacks on the roster that you could consider made, older right. veteran players, and that would be Jovan Quillen and Adonis Alexander. That, that whole line is just a shot fired across the yes. bow of Adonis Alexander, if I've ever seen one. I, yes, it I don't is. think they expect as much out of Quillen because he's not nearly as talented. Yeah, as and he wasn't, he wasn't supposed to be. Right, right, exactly. And uh, He's a depth player. Right, and, and he's a special team standout. And, and if he does contribute on defense, great. But uh, Alexander's a guy, a former starter, who used to be a very good player, but now at this point in his career, he's going into his senior year. He hasn't been... He hasn't played for two thirds of the season openers in of his career because of suspension. <laughs> I mean, so when when you're that unreliable as a player, yeah. I mean, if I'm the head coach, I'm going into the season. I'm saying, okay, you know, I think Adonis Alexander can be a good player for us. I'm not going to count on it. I'm going to try to get as many guys ready as ready as possible because this guy has always shown in the past that he's going to be unreliable. And even when he came back this year. He didn't play all that well. Yeah, he didn't play I, I don't well. think he was bad because I think we have high standards for quarterbacks here, but he was above average for a regular college so, quarterback, so you take, but not for us. Take Greg Stroman and stand him next to Adonis Alexander. Which one you want playing for your football sure, team? Greg Stroman. And, and, and <laughs> Greg was a much better player. Adonis right. looks the part more yeah. than Stroman does, but performance-wise it was the other way no, around. Yeah, not even close. And I, 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 I don't think Fuente meant – to to say that I don't know but I don't know <laughs> there maybe are, well, he did well, there are sometimes he, when he's very honest without trying to be right you know there's sometimes where he holds everything back and looks like he doesn't want to talk about it and then it there yet. are sometimes I, when he lets it loose part of me thinks you know he did that intentionally maybe he to, could, to, could be like I said fire a shot across his bow Sometimes, Light a fire some, under his rear yeah, end yeah sometimes you talk about guys in front of the media and they get embarrassed and. And you know he 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 did it without doing it because he didn't specifically mention his name. But I think if you pay any attention to Virginia Tech's roster at all and know anything about the trajectory of Alexander's career thus far, you know exactly who Fuente was talking exactly. about. Exactly. The other position that I think is is also important this year is the offensive line. And Tech got a little bit of good news last week when they found out Kyle Chung will be back for his sixth year. The NCAA granted him a waiver for his sixth year. Um, Fuente said that they're going to start him at center. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's a good place. He said that yesterday. Yes, mm. That's where he's going to start working at right now. Uh, as long as his shoulders hold up and he stays healthy, that's yeah. good. Uh, and then he also mentioned that, um, or I believe it was actually Brad Cornelson mentioned, that DeAndre Planton and Tyrell Smith need to step up. Mm-hmm. He said that it's kind of, and you know, putting together his and Fuente's quotes, you can go read. Um, we'll, we'll have a full article on the offense coming out on Wednesday. 
but he was basically saying it's time for those guys to put up or shut up at this point. Well, they're both and they're both third year players. Well, they're both fourth year. They're going in their redshirt junior. Yes, seasons. yes, this is true. Yes. So they're going to be go, going into their fourth seasons. Generally, if it doesn't happen for a guy by the time they're it's redshirt juniors, happen. it's not going to happen. The, the one example you know I can really remember is Brendan Hill, who didn't do anything at all until his redshirt senior season, but that was way back in 2006. Generally, you know exactly who you are by the time you're a redshirt junior. I thought Planton played well for Virginia Tech down the stretch he last did. year. He did, and, and they noted that right, yesterday, right. that he filled in well. He's was a, it was it Planton that they put at tackle? Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah um, because, you know, Osterlo just didn't have the foot quickness to block, to pass block, but, but Planton, I thought, did. I thought he held up well. So once Nijman went down, they tried Osterlo, correct? Yeah, it didn't work, and then they started rotating. Uh, Planton, and Planton, right. and I thought Planton was better. And I, Planton's a guy who's worked at tackle and guard before during his Virginia Tech career. And I, they're going to work him at tackle. They're going to work him at guard this year. I could see him starting for Virginia Tech at left guard or right tackle. And then have Tyrell Smith at one of the others? Uh, maybe. Uh, maybe. Yeah, you know, it, it depends on how much Tyrell has bulked up in the upper body. Because you know, he, in the past, was... I never saw him as a guard, per se, but, or I did. It depended on how much he bulked up. I thought he. I thought he could play guard if he bulked up. He was slated to start at right tackle last year, and then got hurt, and, and then Kyle Chung slipped surprise, into that spot. It was. A, it was. A, I think it was a surprise that when that depth chart came out in, in the opening week. And last Kyle year, Chung was and, listed and his at right tackle. There, and you're like, wow, what, what in the world? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, didn't see that coming. Because Kyle Chung, really, when you look at him, he isn't really he's, a tackle, he, but he's he's he shown did a good job. He did. He, he did. Overall, he's he did shown that he has the. The IQ and the ability to kind of play just about anywhere. Right. Yeah, and that's certainly the case. And and I, I think if you, he's played center most of his career. Yeah. And some guard also. And center's probably I th- I the think best if, fit for him. I think if you go back and look at that Notre Dame game in 2016, you saw him at right guard. I think a little bit in that game. So he's played everywhere all, along the line for Virginia Tech. So I could see him starting at center. I could see him starting at guard. You know, if if Zachariah if Zachariah Hoyt comes on and has a really yeah, good Hoyt spring went, at yeah. center, then you can then you can start Chong at guard if you wanted to, and then you could move Planton over to right tackle, which I think really is his more natural position, more so than left tackle. But yeah, there there are options on the offensive line for Virginia Tech. This isn't one of those past seasons where you're like, oh my gosh, who's going to be our starter? <laughs> this guy's going to have to start for us. But now now you're sitting there thinking, okay, DeAndre Planton might have to start for us. Well, okay, I, I can deal with DeAndre Planton starting for us because he's actually gotten into the game in the past and done a competent job. So I think Tech's in a better position up front than they have been in a while. Chris Cohn with a dose of optimism. Let's see if he's as optimistic about this position, and this will really be maybe maybe the last one we'll hit on in the podcast today. Wide receiver. Obviously, Damon Hazleton's out for this one. Eric Kuma's going to be limited. Mm-hmm. Trey Turner's going to be limited. Caleb Farley's moving to defense. Uh, this is going to be a, a big spring to yeah. figure out who's going to be your guys on the outside this, this, I, I, this coming season. I know they've been pleased with uh, Damon Hazleton. Um, so I, I don't know what the issue well, And the is great there. thing about Hazleton is he's he's already a proven commodity at, yeah. at the D1 level, maybe not at the P5 level. Yeah, right. definitely. He not does the P5 fifty-five level. career catches as a true freshman. So it's yeah, he's not, he's new here, but he's not new. He's not new. It's it's not as if he's uh, if he's some raw player and you have no idea what he can do. Um, so I, I if he has to miss the spring, I, I'm okay with that because I think the reps are more important. And they did say for, that he will for, be ready for the fall. Right, right. I think the I think the reps are more important right now for Hezekiah Grimsley. For, uh, Sean, for Sean, Savoy. Sean Savoy. Exactly, for, for guys like that, for Philip Patterson. I, I, do, I, feel I, like, I would put Kuma in that group because so he was coming on to, like Grimsley yeah, was. Yeah, he was. Uh, so it's a shame he's missing yeah, time. Yeah, it is. Uh, he won't be 100% out. I think they'll hold him out of contact okay. But uh, is, is what it sounds like. Yeah. Um, so, But I think it's one of those things where – 
and they're, they're they're always really cautious in the spring, as they should be. So I'm pretty sure if there was a game this spring at some point, a real game, he would he would be able to play. Who's so that, that? Kuma. Yeah. They, they, they wouldn't risk it at this point. I'm sure Trayvon Hill would, uh, Probably might so. be playing yeah. as well, and, and maybe even Caleb Farley. But maybe you, you so. have to take care of these guys because, yeah. again, in the spring, you're really just trying to find out who everybody is. You're not trying to put everybody through the gauntlet. Right, exactly. And, and some guys you know already know how to play. It's not a big deal that Mahota's out for the spring. Yeah. In fact, it's a it's, from, from his health you know perspective, exactly it's, it's not. You know exactly what is. But, you know, if, if he was practicing – you know, I don't think it would necessarily make him any better at this stage in his career, and it just take away reps from a younger player. So I would Fair rather enough. I would rather figure out what the younger guys can can, can do at this stage. Uh, you know, back to your original question about wide receivers, I, I think on balance they'll be better. Will they have a star like Cam Phillips? I, I, I don't know. Um, I I want to see what Savoy can do this year. You know, he got off to a good start last year. Then his uh he had some drop problems throughout the season. Even earlier in the season, he was yeah. struggling catching the ball, which is a surprise because sounded like to us that he did really didn't have any problems with that in preseason practice last year, but he did during the season. And then when his brother passed away during the middle of the season, it just didn't seem like right after the, that Boston, right after game, it, and he, he had such a big out, game. Yeah. Right. So it just never seemed like the same player after that. And by the end of the year, Hezekiah Grimsley was a better player. Um, so we'll, we'll see. Uh, he's got to continue to put that in his rearview mirror. I liked what I saw from Grimsley. He seemed like a natural. Fuente catch did mention also on Monday that he felt like Savoy and Grimsley were approaching things the right way and, and were were showing the work ethic that you like to right. see. And, and when when a coach goes out of his way to mention those guys w- without being prompted, it generally shows that right. he likes what he likes what he's seeing out of those guys. I've just got to see Savoy catch the ball better. Yes, he had too many easy drops yeah. this past yeah, year. Yeah, you know that that catch that Grimsley made against UVA is, that, is yeah. I don't want to go lapse into hyperbole here, but that's one of the better catches I've ever seen. Watching it live, you're like, oh, good catch. Then you see a replay, and you see how much he elevated and extended and held onto the ball. So if he's got that that kind of skill, you know, that that's good stuff. That's and, an Isaiah Ford type of catch. Yeah, you know, where, yeah. where the receiver goes up and makes the play, and not everything is, is on the quarterback putting it in the exact right spot. You yeah. know, I mean, your receivers have to make plays for – I mean, all the best quarterbacks have receivers that can make plays for them. And uh, he made a play for Jackson on that. Yeah, and I remember writing after that game, he made a play – and UVA's hot shot receiver that averaged over 20 yards a catch, I don't yeah. remember. He, yeah. he dropped one dropped inside one. the 10-yard yeah. line. Yeah. Sometimes in a 10 nothing game, that's the difference. And we saw the year before, we saw Isaiah Ford and, you know, Bucky and Cam to a slightly lesser extent. We saw them make play after play for Gerard the year before. Yeah. And especially up in that Pittsburgh Pit. game. Yeah. Yep. And you just didn't see receivers make plays like that. Until the, the last couple games of the season, I, I think, when we saw Kuma start to get better. And then, and then obviously that play with, with Grimsley and Cam was hurt down the stretch, so he didn't really have an opportunity to. Really quick, before you wrap up football, Devin Hunter's going to be being tried out at Whip and Nickelback yeah. the, the the spring. Um, good fit for him? I like it. I like it. I think, I think it will help him mentally to feel like he's part of the first team defense, even though he technically isn't since he's filling in for Mook, who's hurt. Yeah. But I think it will help his development being part of the first team defense. Yeah. Uh, and I think it will give them a better idea about the about his future because honestly, Reggie Floyd's a really good player at Rover. It certainly seems like right. It, yeah. And I think, I mean, according to his Hokie Sports profile, he's lettered twelve times. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> oh man, yeah, dead serious. We but, were talking but, about that earlier. <laughs> but it's <laughs> a minor issues minor with their issue, online yeah. roster. But but at any rate, uh, I think if you if 
Hunter wants to get on the field quicker, I mean, he could potentially start at nickel as a junior. Yeah. Right? As opposed to, let's say, Reggie Floyd keeps playing well, Hunter might not start until he's a senior if he stayed yeah. at Rover. Um, I think he's very he'd be very good at stopping the run. Yeah, he win. would. You just have to see how he handles Six ha- feet, 216 right, pounds. Right. You, you have to uh, see how he holds up in coverage against slot receivers. But I've always thought that was a possible destination for him. Um, I, honestly, I've always thought he could play just about anywhere in the secondary. He it has seems like Rover and Nickel are, are probably the two most similar positions. Uh, they're they're, they're, they're I would different, say, well, but they're also similar. Well, I would to a certain extent. Um, free safety, you could also say, is very similar to Nickel in the fact that they're both on the wide side of the field, this and they have true. to deal with slot receivers. As a Rover, you don't have to deal with slot receivers as much. Uh, so, um, and, you, and because you're on the short side of the field, Tech was able to kind of hide Reggie Floyd there because he's not as good in coverage yeah. as, as, as a guy who would but, be but on the But he can hold up against athletes that he's, on the short, he's compared on the, to. On the short side of the field, right, yeah. exactly. Uh, I think Hunter's more athletic, so you give him an opportunity on the wide side of the field and, and see how he can do. But I think it'll be good for his development to to and his mental state to, to feel like he's a part of that starting group. Yeah, I would definitely agree, and it'll be interesting to see what he can do this spring because I know Tech fans are really, really excited about Devin Hunter and getting him on the field. Really quick, before we wrap up, I want to hit on Virginia Tech Wrestling. They're heading to the NCAA Championships in Cleveland. Everything starts on Thursday of this week. Uh, Virginia Tech is sending nine wrestlers, which, believe it or not, is not the most they've ever sent. They've sent ten one year. Uh, but five of those nine are actually seeded in this tournament. Uh, so it seems like Virginia Tech has a really good chance to be um, – to be really competitive in the NCAs despite being in the first year of Tony Roby's tenure. And that was really what the main thing I wanted to hit on. Uh, when I talked to Roby before the season started, he felt like this might have been a bit of a rebuilding year. And he didn't want to come out and say it you know, right away, but he was talking about how they were losing a lot of guys. They were starting five freshmen in the weight classes. And uh, you know they've been able to really put together an, a really, really solid season of Roby's first tenure. And it seems like Tony Roby has picked up exactly where Kevin Dresser's left off, and in some ways he's improved on it. Yeah. Uh, you know, NC State brought back, I think it was something like six senior wrestlers. And when they wrestled Tech for the ACC dual meet championship effectively, you know, that's kind of like the regular season yeah. is the way to look at that. Uh, they got way ahead of Tech, and then Tech almost caught him. It, it was close. Yeah, it so went it was, down to the final match. So NC State won the, the dual meet title. Then you go to the ACC championships, and Virginia Tech won the ACC championships over NC State. You know, that's pretty impressive. If, if that's the best anybody's got in the ACC, that they have five or six senior wrestlers, however many it was, and they still can't beat Virginia Tech, who has a lot of young guys. I think Tech only has two seniors. I, I mean, I, I, that sounds pretty close. I can look it up really quick. I think if you that's, give me that's right. Three at most. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think this is all very encouraging, and, and and you and I were talking, you know, before the podcast that uh, one area in which Tony Roby is is excelling over what Kevin Dresser did is in fundraising for the Southeast Regional Training Center. Who is a sponsor of TechSideline.com. That is correct. Um, <laughs> the CERTS, as we like to call it, S-E-R-T-C. The uh, the CERTS is, is to, to really kind of talk about the CERTS and, and explain what it is and how it works is, is really enough material for a separate podcast. But it's a big deal, and uh, I think Kevin Dresser had something like, in the last year he was here, he had 135 donors. This is something that is not funded by the athletic program. It's funded by strictly through fundraising. Yes. And Dresser had 135 donors. And Tony Roby, when he took it over, said, I'm going to do a donor a day promotional program. I want to get more than that. 
And last I checked, he's up to about 260 donors, 265, something like that. So he's really doing a good job fundraising for that. They staff it with wrestlers who can work out with the collegiate wrestlers. This is, at its core, a recruiting tool. Um, yes, it gets your guys some workouts with some good wrestlers who yeah. are outside of your and program. In season, yeah. Instead of just wrestling against guys in your program, they get to wrestle against guys who are technically outside the program. But it's also a huge recruiting tool because the better that you staff your regional training center, the more likely you are to draw better high school wrestlers who want to train against former Olympians and All-Americans and NCAA champions and things like that. So uh, Tony's doing a great job with that part of the program. Um, to, to take over a, a program of so many young wrestlers and still win the ACC and taking nine guys to the NCAAs where I believe there are ten weight classes. Yeah. So you're taking a guy almost for every weight class. So. They only have two seniors in their starting lineup yeah, heading to the go. NCAAs. Uh, and that starts on Thursday, I Dennis believe. Dennis Gustafson and Jared Hott. Yeah. So, I, I mean, they're, they're bringing back tons of guys. Yeah, and, and from what I understand, it's <laughs> – the NCAA wrestling championships are just a huge affair. It's, the brackets take up pages and pages. Especially up there in the uh, up there in the Midwest, man. Yeah, wrestling right? is huge. Well, I mean, in there. terms of sheer numbers, it's oh, huge. Yeah, yeah. There's just a ton of guys there, you yeah. know. And and if you get a chance, uh, check some of it out. I think early on, it's on ESPN U, ESPN. Yeah, watch ESPN. Yeah, you can definitely see it on the app. And you know, I, I remember is, well, really quick. The app is awful. <laughs> the app is terrible. But we're it's all going so in the direction bad. of streaming. Yes, now, we are. Now, the, the bummer about when the NCAA wrestling championships are is it's always at a time of year when the NCAA tournament is going on. So if you're a basketball fan, it's hard to carve out the time to watch it. But exactly, I, I yeah. did get to watch a couple of matches last year. and yeah, I don't remember names. Uh, I think Tech had a guy who was uh, seated something like, like 11th wrestling a uh, – a third-seeded wrestler. I don't remember who for. Maybe been Penn State. And and it's if you don't know a thing about wrestling, like me, I don't know jack about wrestling. But it, it was just a heartbreaker because you know Tex guy like rolled the Penn State guy over just about pinned him, and then <laughs> 0.5 seconds later, Tex guy was on his back getting pinned. You know, so <laughs> even if you don't know anything, my point is, if you don't know anything about wrestling, watch. It's uh, it's kind of cool, and it's not hard to figure out. You'll hear them talk about riding time and bonus points and things like that. The bottom line is, if you got a guy who's crushing somebody else, he gets points for riding time, just staying on top of the dude, and he gets uh, bonus points if you if you really beat a guy badly. It's worth more points than if you just beat him. So if you watch, you can figure it out, and it's fun to watch. We'll we'll definitely have to see how Virginia Tech does on that again. NCAA tournament uh, this week in Cleveland. We'll see how Virginia Tech wrestling does. Seems like Tony Roby's got the program headed in the right direction. Yeah, the highest Virginia Tech has ever finished, I think, was fourth one yeah. year under dress. And you get a trophy for fourth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, again, if you don't know anything about wrestling, it's it's kind of like women's college basketball. The teams at the top are really, really, yeah. really good. Penn so State, Iowa. You, you don't go in ranked eighth or ninth and thinking, hey, we could win this thing. No, no, no. <laughs> Barring some act of God, you're not going to. Yeah. But if if, if Tech goes in, uh, ranks something like ninth or tenth, and they finish sixth or seventh, that's a big deal. It is. You know it that is. that's that's an accomplishment. And it would definitely be a huge, huge accomplishment for this uh, this program in the first year of Tony Roby's tenure. All right, folks. All the time we have for this podcast. Remember, Virginia Tech basketball is playing Alabama Thursday, nine twenty p.m. on TNT. Tech sideline will be there. Chris Coleman and Will Stewart are both going to Pittsburgh for that. Virginia Tech Pro Day is on Wednesday in the morning 
I'll be there for that, uh, bringing you all the news from that. We'll see how Virginia Tech's uh, draft hopefuls can do there. And then spring practice starts uh, this coming weekend on Saturday. So we'll have to see kind of if we hear some early news out of spring camp. But until next week when we bring back the next episode of the podcast for Will Stewart, for Chris Coleman, and for myself, Ricky the Blue, thanks for listening.